Isn't it great we serve a faithful God? A God who meets each and every one of our needs. A God who is faithful to his word and faithful to the promises that he gives us in his word. And beginning today and for the three weeks, we are going to be looking at the promise of Christ that he's coming again. We're going to be looking at the return of Jesus, uh, what we refer to as the rapture. So I want to encourage you this morning to take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 987. I encourage each of you to have a copy of the Scriptures in front of you. Uh, whether that's an electronic copy or a, a hard copy of it, but have a work copy of the Word of God that you're looking at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading with verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. May the Lord encourage our hearts this morning through the reading of his word. The coming of Christ. It is all through the scriptures. The apostle Paul regularly taught on the return of Christ, even in new churches that he established. And in his letters back to those churches, we will see how he will often say to them, remember what I told you when I was there. The book of 1 Thessalonians is filled with references of the Lord's return. Matter of fact, at the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, there's a reference to the Lord's return. Now, I realize the chapters are, are man-made, the chapters in, in verses, but I think it's significant for us to notice that at least five times in this book, Paul is talking about the return of the Lord. Uh, in chapter 1, in verse 10, he says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is coming back to deliver us from the wrath of God that is going to be poured out on this earth. Isn't it great to know that Jesus is getting us out of here before God's wrath is poured out down here on the earth? Amen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 19, Paul writes, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? The Apostle Paul is saying to those in Thessalonica, those who have come to know the Lord, that when Jesus returns, you are going to be our crown. We are going to rejoice with you. In chapter 3, in verses 11 to 13, Paul writes this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as you do for, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in the holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Jesus is coming back with all of his saints. In a moment, we'll consider chapter 4, but now let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. I don't think you all heard me this morning. With what I just said. Jesus is coming again. Now let's say together, Jesus is coming again. Together, Jesus is coming again. He's coming back. That's the promise of what we refer to as the rapture. Now I have to tell you, in a lot of churches, you're not going to hear this preached today. In a lot of churches, people are staying away from this, and one of the reasons they're staying away from it is they don't believe in the rapture, and they don't believe in the return of the Lord. Uh, Personally, I am very, very tired of hearing of people from the past who were great preachers of the word of God being ridiculed these days because of their belief in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm tired of these men being criticized and being talked about as if they did not know how to expound the scriptures. I know it's not popular that most of the seminaries today do not believe in a pre-tribulational return of Jesus to the earth or in the sky where we will be caught up to meet with him. But I believe that's what the Bible teaches. I have been privileged to grow up in a a church since I was, say, a boy by a pastor who's now gone home to be with the Lord who accepted a literal approach to all of Scripture, including the prophetic passages of scripture. 
I'm thankful for the people who have poured into me through the years. I'm thankful. I think back on the days when I was a teenager. Now, some of you are old enough to to remember those days, but there was a film then that was produced called Thief in the Night. How many of you ever saw that film? Raise your hands if you're there. Okay, a good number of you. The acting may not have been the greatest in that film, but the message of that film was right on regarding the rapture of the church. And and I've just recently heard that whole film being ridiculed and all those methods that were used to get the message out that Jesus is returning in a rapture before the tribulation. It wasn't too long ago, one young pastor and I, we were talking, not someone on our staff, but someone else, and, and we were talking about this, and finally he just looked at me and said, Butch, I just want you to know you're a dinosaur. <laughs> now, I know I'm old, but I'm not quite as old as the dinosaurs, but he said, you're a dinosaur for what you believe. I had another pastor in the area. We were talking, we were sitting down and talking about things, and the return of the Lord and the rapture came up, and he looked at me and said, nobody believes that anymore. Well, friends, I want you to know, I believe that's what the Word of God teaches. And I believe that a consistent, literal interpretation of the Scriptures will lead you to that conclusion. You know, I remember as a boy, there were great songs that we would sing, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more. I remember the song by John W. Peterson, marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the King, Jesus is coming again. Standing before him at last, trial and trouble all pass. Crowns at his feet we will cast. Jesus is coming again. Coming again, coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be. Jesus is coming again. And I believe that with all my heart. People say to me, well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, so we don't believe in it. The word trinity is not found in the Bible either, but we believe in the trinity. And actually, the word rapture, which comes from a Latin word, is found in the Bible. It's in verse 17 of our passage, which says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up that will be caught up, that's the word rapture in Latin. And that's where the word and the concept of rapture comes from. The word rapture means to to pull out or to pluck out. Have you ever been cleaning uh, or ever had a chicken and you were making sure it was all clean and you found a little stub of the feather still there and you grab a hold of it and what? You want to pull it out. When you pulled it out, you raptured that feather from that chicken. That's what it means to rapture, to pull out. The actual word also carries with it the concept of being caught up and it being something of great joy that it means you're meeting an honored guest. And I want to tell you this morning, we're going to meet an honored guest. 
because Jesus will be in the sky. So let's look at the event described. Let's look at how Paul describes the event. First of all, in verse 16, we see, for the Lord himself will descend. So the Lord descends. From heaven, he's coming down to the clouds of earth. Remember in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, right before the eyes of the disciples, there he was, and he so slowly ascended up into the skies and into the clouds and out of sight. And the disciples were all standing around, I'm sure with their mouths hanging open, looking up there and just gazing into the sky. And the angel comes and basically rebu rebukes them and says, what are you guys doing? This same Jesus who went up will come back in the same way. So we see the Lord descends. Next, we see there's a cry of command. We see that also in verse 16. In verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. So there's going to be a cry. Now, this word for cry, or in the King James Version, is the word shout. The Lord will return with a shout with the voice of an archangel, it may be Michael who is giving out this command. It may be another archangel who is doing it. But it is a command that's addressed, first of all, to those who are dead. This word cry or shout was used in a variety of ways in biblical times. It was a term that referred to when a shipmaster was speaking to his rowers and he would be going, pull, pull, pull. That was a shout. That was a command that he was given. It's a cry that was made by a military officer to his soldiers of either to move forward or to retreat. It's a cry that he would cry out to them. It's the cry that was made by someone who was uh, driving his chariot as they were going along. He would cry out to the horses. Now, I want to confess to you that as I drive sometimes, I have passengers with me that cry out. That, that they're really... Uh, uh, my, my staff thinks it's a, a test of faith. Uh, to have new staff members ride with me. Uh, this week, one of my staff members came to me and said, Pastor Butch, I just want you to know, Barb is going to have extra crowns in heaven because of all the time she's been in the car with you when you've been driving. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, this would be a cry of the person driving the horses, telling them to go or telling them to stop. There is a command that is given. It's like the command that Jesus used in John chapter 11 when his friend Lazarus had died and Jesus calls him out of the tomb. He calls out, Lazarus, come forth. It was a command. 
And as we've talked about before, when we've talked about that passage of Scripture, it's a good thing Jesus said Lazarus or everyone that was dead would have come out of their tombs. And I believe that this cry, this command, is going to be addressed and heard only by those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It'll be a cry to the, those who are dead in Christ, and it will be a cry to those who are, of us who are living when he comes. And I believe he's going to say something like this, come on up here, come on up here and join me. It's going to cry that is coming from an archangel. The next thing we see in the passage is we see that it also is accompanied by a trumpet sound. It says a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now trumpets were used for the Jews for a great many things. They would blow a trumpet to declare war. They would blow a trumpet to announce special times and seasons. They would blow a trumpet to gather the people together for a journey. In the Roman Empire, they would use a, a trumpet to announce the arrival of a great person. There is a trumpet that is going to sound. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There is a trumpet sound that is going to sound. Then notice the passage tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 16, the dead in Christ, all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who have already died, will be called forth first. And then we're going to see Living Christians, according to verse 17, will be raptured. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And then notice what Paul tells us. He says this. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds, verse 17, to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. We'll be with the Lord forever. Forever. Jesus descends. There's a cry of an archangel, a command, a trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ rise first. Living Christians will be raptured. And we'll meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with him forever. Say with me again, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Won't that be a great day? That'd be a great day that Jesus is going to return. 
See, sometimes people refer to us who believe in the, the rapture as escapists. Escapists. That, you know, we just want to get out of this world. And uh, recently I've heard even some Christian people saying, those who believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, those Christians are responsible for all the ills that are going on in our world. Really? How do you come to that conclusion? Well, they'll say, well, well, these Christians, they don't care anything about the environment. That's not true. You know, we believe that God has given us this earth to live on. And we believe that we have a responsibility to be stewards to take care of this earth. You know, God gave it to us. We are to be good stewards, take care of it. You know, there's a, a lot of talk these days, and this is kind of a preview of next week's message. So I'm just going to give you a little hint here. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3 next week. But, you know, there's all this talk about climate change. And a few years ago, all the talk was about global warming. Uh, now it's switched to climate change. I want you to know, I believe in global warming. Because my Bible tells me that after Jesus comes back, takes his saints with him, after we go through a tribulation period, and then we have Christ's millennial reign, that God is going to destroy this earth and everything in it by fire. That's the global warming I believe in. <laughs> believe me. It's going to get hot here when God destroys this earth. What's Paul's purpose in, in telling us all of this? What's Paul's purpose in talking so much about the return of the Lord? Well, in verse 13, he tells us this. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. Paul does not want us to be uninformed. I like the way the New Living Translation puts this. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to Christians who have died so that you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. You know, there are several things in the scriptures that Paul writes about, and he says he doesn't want us to be ignorant of. In Romans chapter 11 and verse uh, 25 Paul tells us he doesn't want us to be uninformed about God's plan for Israel. God has a plan still for ethnic Israel. He doesn't want us to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 1. Incidentally, after we finish this three-week series, we're going to launch back into 1 Corinthians and finish the book that we were preaching through through the first part of the year. And we'll be talking about spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed about the suffering and trials of this Christian life. Well, you know, Christ never promised that we would have no trials, that we would have no suffering. And we may have trials and we may have suffering, 
But Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed that those will come to an end when Jesus comes back for his church. So Paul is writing this for the purpose that we not be uninformed. Secondly, Paul is writing to us so that we do not grieve like others. Look at it there in verse 13. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He doesn't want us to grieve like others do. See, for those who are outside of Jesus, this life to them is all that there is. And they see this, and they have no hope beyond this. And see, what's happened here in Thessalonica? Paul was there. He had taught them about the coming of the Lord. And did you notice the language? Paul says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Paul expected the rapture to come during his lifetime. We'll talk more about that in two weeks when we look at the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul has taught them that, and now Paul's away from them, and some of the people who were believers in Thessalonica have died. And the church is wondering, what about our loved ones? What's going to happen to them? So Paul wants to reassure them that they have hope in Jesus and there is hope for their loved ones as well who were in Christ. I want to ask you a question here this morning. How many here have had a family member? A husband, a wife, a child, a sibling, a father, a mother, a grandparent? Or how many here have had a close friend that you know that they had faith in Jesus and they have now died? If that's true for you, would you stand up? Would you stand up? Almost everybody is standing. I want to declare to you this morning on the authority of the word of God and on the faithfulness of God keeping his promises. If your loved one was a believer in Jesus and if you are a believer in Jesus, you will be reunited with them. That's the truth of the scriptures. That's the hope that we as believers have that the world does not have. And Paul says, don't sorrow as the world sorrows. Listen to me, all of you who are standing. Some of you, this is very fresh for you. And you're still grieving And you're fighting with depression. And you're fighting with loneliness. And you're missing that loved one. You will be reunited with them. That 
is God's promise to us. So we don't sorrow like the world sorrows. You can be seated. My friend, just imagine that your loved one has gone on a trip. You soon will be joining them on that trip. And personally, I hope for myself, and if it's for me, it'll be for a lot of you as well, that it happens in my lifetime. And I don't have to walk through that valley of the shadow of death, but that I'm caught up in the air. You know, just like Enoch in the Old Testament, he walked with God, and he was not. God just said to him, you know, come on up here. And the day is coming when the church of Christ is complete, where Jesus is going to tell us, hey, come on up here and join me. Now, don't misunderstand me when I talk about grief. It doesn't mean that we do not grieve for loved ones. Even Jesus grieved for his friend, Lazarus. Remember in John chapter 11? That, you know, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. That was over the death of Lazarus. So we'll sorrow. We miss them. But we will be reunited. There's another purpose that Paul has in telling us this. And it's down in the last verse that we're looking at, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Tell one another that Jesus is coming back again. You know, we try to do that every week here at Maranatha. At the end of the service, we say, good morning and Maranatha. It means, oh Lord, come. In, in two weeks, I'm going to preach the whole message on that term Maranatha, what it means and its implications for us regarding the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage one another. Now, let's make some practical applications here. First of all, dear Christian friend, Are you living for Christ? Is your focus on serving Christ? Jesus is coming back at any moment. He could come back before this service ends. That'd be a great way to end this service, don't you think? (laughs) I do. End it with a great big trumpet. And then we're caught up there in the air to be. Now, don't you want to be doing something you should be doing when Jesus comes back? One of the things I often think about, especially if I'm thinking about doing something that I shouldn't be doing, is how will I feel if Jesus comes back while I'm doing that? Let me encourage you. Jesus is coming back and you have this hope and use that hope to help you examine, ought I to be doing this or be doing that? What can I be doing to serve the Lord? You know, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus returns, some believers are going to be embarrassed 
They're going to be embarrassed about what they were doing. So let's encourage one another. Are you living for Christ? Secondly, is there someone you know? Family member? A loved one? A friend? That you need to share Christ with? If we really believe Jesus is coming back, we need to be praying for our loved ones who don't know Christ. We need to be looking for the opportunities that God presents to us to go through those doors and share Jesus with them and share with them how they can also know Jesus. And then thirdly, I want to ask just a very blunt question this morning. Do you know Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Once you know, he's coming back for those who are his. For some of you, you've heard the gospel. You've thought through the gospel. You're wrestling with the gospel. Not quite ready to make a decision. And I ask you, what's keeping you? from making that decision. Because friends, I believe that the scriptures teach if you know the gospel and you have been brought to the point of decision to where you truly understand there is salvation in Jesus and in Jesus alone and the rapture occurs that after that you will not get saved. We're told that God's going to send a great delusion to those who have chosen sin over him. And so this morning, I would say to you, if you haven't made that decision, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from putting your faith and trust in the one? If you know the gospel is true, it's time to respond to that gospel. Time is short. Jesus is coming. Again, say it with me one last time this morning. Jesus is coming again. Father, we thank you for this promise that you have given to us. Oh, Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that we have. Father, I pray that each and every one present here this morning will have a relationship with you, will put their faith and trust in you, Father, help us to examine our lives in in light of the truth that you're coming back. Help us that we might be faithful to serve you. And Father, thank you for your promise again. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.